Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Beautiful Butterfly Show, where we provide a platform to inform, inspire, and motivate our listeners. Presenting you with amazing guests from entrepreneurs, authors, music artists, poets, and more. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show.
Hello. Hello. All right, folks, we are sorry for the technical difficulties, uh, but I believe that we have the man of the hour on here uh, for you guys. I'm talking about no other than Iyaba, Eva uh, Mandingo, you guys, right here on the Beautiful Butterfly Show. Iyaba, you there? Peace, sister. How you doing? How you doing? I am doing fantastic. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Blessed and highly favored, as they say. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, welcome back. Uh, thank you for coming and joining and chatting with me again. Definitely appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. I enjoyed it the last time. I'm sorry was, we, we weren't able to hook up the other day, but something came yeah. up, so I'm glad we got this chance again. Absolutely, absolutely. And so for the folks out there, this may be their first time being introduced to you, hearing you speak, and thus far, tell them a little bit about who Iyaba is. Uh, Ayaba Ibo Mandingo is a storyteller uh, from the Caribbean uh, who, who's in love with Africa, a uh, storyteller, um, and I use, I use a bunch of different mediums to tell stories. Uh, I'm a painter and a playwright and an actor and a poet and a singer and a musician, mm-hmm. and, and I use all those things to tell, us, tell our stories. You know, I used to call myself mm-hmm. an artist and then call myself a writer, and one day it dawned on me that, that I tell stories and I just have a big toolbox. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Absolutely. So that, that, that's really that's really what you know. That's really that's really what the main thing is. That I'm really I'm, I'm just a storyteller who tells a story about our people and about the things we go through, our struggles, our ups and our downs, our joys and our pains, and our tribulations. You know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Iyaba, do you believe that there is, because especially in the poetry realm, we have uh, artists, we have poets, we have storytellers, we have um, spoken word artists. Do you believe that there's definitely a difference um, between being an artist and being a storyteller? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, yeah. um, and for me, it's, it's about, it's really about not being being locked into one thing, you know, for mm-hmm. me, I don't, I don't, I don't like being called a spoken word artist. You know, I think that, okay. I think that's something that the white, that the white uh, uh, publishing world invented to label us because our poetry uh. unquote, wasn't, wasn't, you know, by their book, you know, they, if right. Allen Ginsberg and Jack Kerouac are poets and they, they gave them a genre, they call it beat poetry and call, come up with something, call it, you could call, you could even call it urban poetry if you want to, but don't call me no spoken word <laughs> artist. Malcolm X is a spoken word artist. Martin Luther King was a spoken right. word artist. You know what I'm saying? Right. Somebody that's an orator. You speak well. You're spoken well. I'm a poet. You know, and, mm-hmm. and nope, I don't. I don't write like Frost because I ain't Frost. You know, I write like me. And I, you know, sometimes I think we have to challenge these old art mentalities. You know, or, mm-hmm. you know, you, if you're a poet and you write <laughs> Anamana P, or if you write haikus, or if you write Sing Queens, 
No, you're a poet if you understand the, it's about economy of words and about cleverness and about you know pun and metaphor and similes. I think that those are the those are the those are the only criteria that you really need to come at it with. You know, a lot of people get caught up in I'm a spoken word artist, and then we end up only writing pieces that that are run on and, and you know. 900 punchlines, and you know you write you writing for for the stand up for the stand for the open mic that you're gonna go rock at. And <laughs> being a, being a historian for me, I, I write because I know that you know I County Collin was was on the planet long before my mother was. He was he he, he was my grandfather's age and even younger, mm-hmm. even older than my mm-hmm. grandfather. Talking about somebody from the Renaissance, and it was picking up his book. That got me turned on to poetry. Langston Hughes got me turned on to poetry. People who are literally my, from my grandfather's generation. I feel like that's what we have to do as black. We have to pay it forward so that, you know, somebody right. from my grandchild's generation will pick up one of my books or maybe right. you know, one of my great-grandchildren pick up one of my books or one of my peers and be inspired right. to, to, to try to write, to, to, to go take their work in that direction. You know, when you hear Langston mm-hmm. Hughes talking about Claude McKay, who was a Jamaican immigrant, he, he gives Claude McKay credit with really, really – being the one that influenced his, his melody and the tempo of his poetry. And a lot of people don't know that, you know, they call Langston Hughes the father of poetry, but then you get, here you go, Langston Hughes crediting an, a, a Caribbean man, an immigrant mm-hmm. would, would really influence in his style of poetry. So those are the things I really want to bring to the table and, and us defining ourselves more, you know, instead mm-hmm. of allowing other people to, to define us, you know, I had to correct a gallery owner right here in town the other day in Bridgeport, because she introduced me and told me I, you know, said uh, spoken word artist, and I went right up there mm. after and, 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 and corrected her in front of everybody. I'm actually not a spoken <laughs> word artist. I'm a poet. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you believe that when it comes to storytelling, and, and you mentioned about, you know, having something that we can pass along um, as a legacy, you know, for our kids, grandkids, and so forth, um, and just our families in general? Do you believe that storytelling um, has become somewhat of a lost art. Are we are we absolutely getting away from that? Absolutely. We we're running away yeah. from it. We we, we yeah. come from we come from oral history. We come from you right. know, the griot. The griot which yeah. was which was the, the jalet or or the, the, the storyteller. You know, the, mm-hmm. the they would come into town and they had these stories and they, they took that very seriously. And that's how right. you know until until people started writing things down. That's the way our, all of our traditions were were passed on, and that's a lot of reasons why we lost them. Not, you know, maybe it's a little romantic to think, man, it would be good to know what we talked about 400 years ago. But mm-hmm. we were doing oral history right up into the, the, the beginning of the, the 20th century, yeah. when when African people in the Caribbean and here in the Americas, you know, didn't didn't get the opportunity of education. So all those stories they were passed down, recipes, songs, right. anecdotes. They were all passed down because your grandmother told you. You know, I remember mm-hmm. one of my babas, the cat that was one of my teachers, Baba Amir. He told me about, the, you know, the, what the, the 1831. You know, it, it was a year of Nat Turner's revolt, and he told me that from from the Africans, the, the black people's point of view, that he heard from his great grandmother, who happened to be alive and was obviously the, the the grandchild of one of these of one of these African people in in captivity. He heard the story from her. Directly, that was a that was right. that was a, a suicide mission. They knew that they were probably going to be killed and and, and, and uh, caught and killed. But what they don't tell you in the history books is that after that, the atmosphere that that created. Because remember, we're talking deep south, so we're not talking about right. the ability to run like Harriet, Harriet, like Mama Harriet could, because she was right there in Delaware, so she could run. But when you in Mississippi's and the Tennessees and the Virginias and the Carolinas, you ain't running. You're not running north. You're gonna try. Right. But, you know, what, what the, the oral history of that Nat Turner's revolt is that 
because of the atmosphere that that caused among the white slave owners at that time, for months afterwards, they were nervous. At 5 o'clock, they'd be locked up in the house. You know, there were were plantations where, where the Africans took over and made the master pretend that he was still in charge. All of those things happened, and it happened because, of, you know, obviously it happened because of what was going on in, in Haiti a couple of years before that, 20 years before that. But it, it happened right. because they, the white people were shook. So according to Baba Amir, thousands of Africans actually walked off of the plantations and headed north to different places, to Georgia's and those kind of places, trying to make it all the way up to this part of the, up, of, mm-hmm. of the country behind that Nat Turner, and we don't know that. We don't know that because that's our oral history that's been lost, and you know, now we get like these versions that, that ain't got nothing to do with the truth. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and I also think that it's, it's, you know, we have to take a lot of responsibility for that lost art because I feel like a lot of us don't have time to listen to our ancestors. You know, Absolutely. We don't have time to sit down. And I, for me, that's all I grew up on was my grandmother, my grandfather, my aunts and uncles, you know, telling us stories over the years and still to this day. And I feel like mm-hmm. now we don't have time for that. Oh, I don't got, I don't have time to go and sit with grandpa mm-hmm. or grandma today. You know, I don't have mm-hmm. time to hear with uncle Russell. God does they have to cook out. You know, it's just, we, we just don't have time for that. And we don't realize we're losing out on so major, much history, you know. Major um, things, major things, yeah. man. Major things. Since we don't, yeah. we, the correlation, you know, we have a correlation. My right. grandmother, one of my grandmother's favorite medicines was the center of the soursop fruit. And when you mm-hmm. pee the bed as a kid, and, and for old men who they used to call it stoppage of water, which is what we know as prostate, prostate issues now, uh-huh, they, would, uh-huh. they would give you the stem, the, the center core of that soursop fruit. Yeah. And it would stop yeah. you from peeing the bed. It would help men right. with, with the shortage of water. Now, what we, here we are now in the 21st century, and we got doctors and, and the European doctors saying that soursop leaves is one of the best agents for fighting cancer and fighting all these mm-hmm. different kinds of things. So here's something that my grandmother knew. Just how did she know it? By word of mouth. I remember having a That's fever. Right. And she would put you in the bed, take the soursop leaf, the leaves, put them all over your body, and then put a blanket on top of you. And you wake up in a couple of hours, and that fever is sweated out of you with them leaves. Yep. And them leaves yep. all took all. And these are just things that now you turn around and you see people, you know, you, you, the, the, the quote-unquote, the experts saying, you know, soursop leaves. And I'm saying, mm-hmm. wow, my grandmother knew that. In 1971, my grandmother knew that. And she didn't know it because she went to school. She knew it because yeah. she remembered the things that the old women before her taught her. Right, right, absolutely. And, and a lot of times, and especially now, um, you know, we have become a a fearful uh, group of people because things that we did used to use back in the day or our ancestors used back in the day as ointments and healers, um, now they tell you, oh, it's toxic. You know, it can kill you. Of course You know, is. all of these, you know, these different things. And so we're like, okay, well, I'm not going to use that, you know, and we Absolutely. don't realize. And then it's a lot of stuff, like you said, that, can heal us, but of course they're not going to tell us that. I mean, why would they? They want you to spend money I mean, going to the doctor. <laughs> when you talk about our spirituality, you know, yeah. in my country, yeah. for example, because the white masses became so afraid of the Ubyaman, which is like you know mm-hmm. our version of voodoo in that part of the Caribbean, yeah. that they outlawed it, and, and they made it yeah. such an outlawed and ostracized thing that today in the Caribbean, the, the biggest chastisers, the biggest sort of of of, of they will come at you and call you all type of backwards. It's black people, your own African people. They hear you talking about going to the Abya man or going to the Ifa man or the, or the voodoo man, and they tell you mm-hmm. you're backwards and you're this, and they throw Christianity in your face as if to say, like, you know, it's okay to pick up to adopt something that the people who used to enslave us was. But, but the things that we came off the ships with, the things that we preserved, 
let's not let's not depend on those, even though they helped us be the masters of the planet for for, for generations. Let's just abandon those things. And we wonder why, you know, we, we, we don't, especially when it comes to our spirituality. You know, your, your spirituality yeah. is very much connected to who you are, your DNA. Absolutely. And when you, when Absolutely. you, when you see your, your spiritual, your, your whole spiritual world as, as being something that you adopted from, from people who used to enslave you, man, that's a scary place to be. It's a scary place to be. And, and, and you know, I mean, with everything, there, everything, 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 you know, you can go right across the book. Josh Gibson hit more home runs than Babe Ruth. You know how I many black kids don't know that? Right. And Josh, Josh Gibson was a Josh Gibson was alive 100 years ago, not not 200, 300 years ago. He was a, he was playing Negro ball in, in the in the mm-hmm. 20s and 30s right here in America before Jackie Robinson. As a matter of fact, when you hear the old heads talk about it, he made Jackie Robinson look like a look like an amateur. Right. So you go, okay, well, he, I'm talking like a man who hit almost 300 home runs more than Babe Ruth. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, you know, it's, it's, it's that thing, you know what I'm saying? Just, and and, and mm-hmm. again, it, if, if that, you, you give it another 50, 100 years, maybe nobody, I'll say Josh Gibson or somebody, and they'll be like, well, who are you talking about? Well, only one of the greatest baseball players that ever lived. Oh, yeah, he was black. So. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just, yeah. I, those, when you talk about what inspires and what, you know, I feel like we have, we, us African people living today, we are, we are the uh, ancestors' wildest dreams and hopes because they mm-hmm. realized that there was a point in time with them when they realized that they were stuck in this place that they were stuck in, and they yeah. made conscious decisions. You know what? I'm going to do what I can and play it forward. That's right. And, and That's they, right. They, they were dreaming about us. They couldn't imagine a world where we could do these type of things and, and have the freedom to say what we want, even though we're still getting murdered and things like that. We have mm-hmm. freedom. We have abilities as human beings that they could only dream and wish for and we really got to realize that, you know. I know that this storytelling thing, these gifts that I have as an artist, I know that they're and they've been in my bloodstream forever and ever. And I'm just, I just, I'm just the one who's now has the opportunity to really manifest it in a big way. But, I mean, you know, my grandfather passed away in 2012. We went looking through his pictures, and that's when I found out my grandfather was a painter and a sculptor. I only knew that he was, wow. he was a tailor. He was a tailor who who made men's suits like like he was a, a sculptor. But I, I I just thought that he just had that look, but the way he would draw on that material, and the way he would cut that material, I get it now. Because, yeah, you know, he, he yeah. didn't do measurements. He would hold it up, size you up, and be hooking, hooking men up. And, and they really, his suits <laughs> really did. His suits were clean. They looked like sculpture. They looked like a sculpture, yeah. like what a sculptor would make. You know, so right. you get that, and you sit up there, you're going, wow. Blows the mind, Absolutely. you know, it really does. Absolutely. Absolutely. Really Absolutely. And so, of course, tonight... Um, we are talking, <clears throat> excuse me, about um, your poetry book, which has a very uh, interesting and creative title, <laughs> if I must so, if I must say so. So tell the folks out here uh, the title uh, of this poetry book that you actually just released. It's called. It's called. And this, this is Antigua and Patois. It's called Fool Your Tongue Heavy Like a Fifty Six. Now, a lot of people that don't know the nuances will say that we sound like Jamaicans, and of course we get very offended because we sound like Antiguans, and we don't. But you know, we from all over the world. You know, I spent some uh, about five months in Africa and a couple of years ago, and you know, in Nigeria, I picked up on their what they call pidgin, which is their version of broken English. I picked up on it so quick mm-hmm. that it blew their minds. But I'm telling them, look, man, it's the same English. We y'all bent it one way, we bent it another way. My father's from Guyana. They bent it in another direction. My, one of my best friends is from Trinidad. They bent it in another direction. I got Jamaican friends. They bent it in another direction. In Barbados, they bent it. We just we're just clever people. So we took 
the phonetic, the, the phonetic way we say things with that sort of melody of it, and we still say it. So, for your tongue heavy like fifty, heavy like a fifty six, is translates into your tongue is heavy like fifty six. Now, wow. during during slavery and 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 the period afterwards, which we call shoot hard labor, which you guys call sharecropping here, mm-hmm. the, one of the things, one of the major things that my our people did was they pushed those plows, those big plows, before they would even right. hook up the, the horses to them to to plow those fields, prepare those fields for right. planting. And each one of the plows had a had a number stamped into the handle that designated the weight of the plow. Mm-hmm. And the heaviest plow that you could get was number fifty six. Wow. So a couple of years ago, I'm doing some research on my family. My great-grandmother, her name was Rosamond Guy, and they call her Rosie. She was six feet one. She carried brass knuckles, and my grandfather said he was afraid of her when he was courting my grandmother. Big old serious woman that would kick your tail. And, you know, she <laughs> would say to people, she would say to a lot of people, you gal, you see you? For your tongue heavy like a 56. And that basically means, girl, you got a lot of heavy shit to say. You dig me? So when I when I stumbled upon I'm talking I was talking to uh, I was into, I was talking to my grandmother my great grandmother's sister's net grandson. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he's in his seventies now and he remembers like I, the same thing we were talking about. He remembers all the stories and he he was ready to pass those stories on. And so I sat mm-hmm. there with him for hours and he just I mean, things about my family that we didn't know. My grandmother my mother and them didn't even know that my uncle James, my grandmother's oldest child, was named after his grandfather. He didn't know that because wow. those, those, we didn't have access to those records. So I find all of that on that right. conversation. And when he says that to me with the free your tongue heavy like 56, he said that was your great grandmother's favorite quote. I was like, that is the perfect title for this collection of poetry I'm working on. Wow. And it's so sad, so done. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm real <laughs> proud of it. I'm very proud of it. I'm very, very proud of it. You know, it, it, um, it celebrates my country and it celebrates my culture. Any Antiguan, any place on the planet, when they see that, just based on the, the words and, and the flow of it, they're going to be like, yeah, this writer is from Antigua. Right. Real proud of it. So very proud of it. With this, with this collection um, of poetry, uh, what, what do you feel that people are going to <clears throat> experience? Uh, because I believe that, I, I, for me personally, I believe that when you, when you, well, for me, I feel like when you read poetry, it should take you on a somewhat mental journey um, mm-hmm. to, to a different place. And so for you, um, what do you feel that people are going to get um, out of this particular collection of poetry? Um, for me, I think they're going to get the, like an overview, you know, because it's really 27 years of poetry. So they're really going to get okay. the growth of a, the growth of a poet, let's say, because, you know, yeah. like the first poem in the book is, is literally the first poem I wrote. Very, very first poem, sitting in the Iowa jail, getting a white girl pregnant, 29-year-old son wow. now that came out of that. And it was the classic stuff, you know, went out to Iowa on a football scholarship, started playing with the natives, got one pregnant. Her daddy wasn't having it, locked my ass up. Wow. So, you know, it, wow. in that process, I'm sitting there, never up to that moment, to me, at that, until that moment, poetry was like this stuffy thing that white people did, you know, sitting at, in front of their fireplace, you know, <laughs> in a smoking jacket with their pipe, you know what I'm saying? That, yeah. I never felt attached to it. And then, you know, just started feeling homesick after about a month in there. And I sat down to write my mother a letter telling her where I was because I had lied and told her I was just staying in Iowa some football camp. And out comes, don't be afraid of me because I'm black. I don't deserve your ruthless attack. 
All I want is to live in peace, but you won't rest until I'm deceased. You brought me here. I never asked to come. Now you tell me to go back to where I'm from. Are you afraid that I'll do the same now that I'm onto your evil game? Don't blame me. You taught me hate, and now in my eyes, you can see your fate, your sins unrepented, your debts go unpaid. Don't you think I'm the one who should be afraid? I was like, what? <laughs> and that, that's the first poem, and that's what the book, the book starts there, and it, it kind yeah. of goes through kind of goes to a lot of give you uh, the first third of the book is probably about the, the, the beginning, those, those early poems, the stuff that, you know, including the stuff that, that has made me, um, you know, into a, um, an internationally known poet, like 41 times my signature piece and, and ancestors. And so those are there, the pieces that when I was, when I was a slam champion and I was going around doing spoken word and doing that type of stuff, some of those pieces are in there. And in the, mm-hmm. in the middle, in the, the middle third is, uh, the stuff that I was writing after coming back and, and before going to, uh, I was locked up by the government for my 9-11 poem for 55 days. And, you know, I came out of there with, with a fire in my, my belly. And, and so that's, that's the super political stuff is really in the middle. And then the last yeah. third of the book is really after going to Africa and being in Africa for almost six months between South Africa, a month in South Africa and four and a half, almost five months in Nigeria. And really feeling completely reconnected, really feeling rewired, and, and, and you know, Africa 360, like back to the source. And, and I absolutely felt that, and every cell in my body felt it. And, and you know, the ancestors I carried with me, they were welcome. They stayed. They, they said and told me they were not coming back here with me, and they would help me still. And so you see that. And then the, then the, 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 the cool thing about, about the third, the last third of it is, you know, sort of this full circle to where I go back to writing the way I, even after being in America 38 years now, I still think in my head, when I think of something, it still comes out as broken English, you know, and I have to convert it into quote unquote proper English. So to be able to one day just realize, yo, how, why don't you just write it in your native tongue? Because I got, I had gotten to the point where I wasn't feeling writing the poetry anymore. I wasn't feeling the, 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 the spoken word type poetry anymore. It was just punchline after punchline after punchline right. for all the oohs and ahs from the audience. And I wanted to write poetry stuff mm-hmm. that stood up, stuff that could be taught in the college. And I was like, right. and, and nothing would come out. And on one day I was like, well, write it. Well, how about writing the way you think it? And that opened up this door to me that just started me really, really realizing that writing in my native tongue is, is a very freeing thing. And I'm uh, meeting cats in South Africa who write in Kosa and Zulu and, 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 uh, and, and Titswana and, and, you know, all the different languages they have over there, Khoisan, it, it just inspired me to, to start exploring my own native tongue. And so that's the last part of the book is really that. And it, it's just, it's one of those things you look back, I'm 40, I'll be 49 in September and I'm very proud of the book because it, it's my, it shows a part of my legacy, but it also shows for me growth, which I think, you know, I'm always pushing artists to do, you know, if you're doing something and you're so comfortable in it that you ain't got to think about it anymore, then you should be trying something else. Mm, absolutely. Especially to the point of absolutely. failure, you should be failing. You should be messing up at it. You should be doing horrible at it, but continuing to get better. Whether it's poet becomes actor or poet becomes songwriter or you know any of those things, you should be trying to figure out how can I turn this thing up to the next level. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. When it comes to <clears throat> poetry, why do you believe it is that? And we see this um, often. Why is it that the poli- you can write about? Uh, like one of my favorites um, that's in this book is, is Home Vibes. Um, and, but why is it that we can talk about other subjects, but when it comes to politics, 
is when the red flags or we get the most, you know, most noticed um, about our works or about things that we're doing when we discuss politics. Do you believe that politics has a way of, you know, kind of reopening a wound, so to speak, in individuals um, that get them kind of fired up when they hear, you know, political pieces? Absolutely, absolutely. When, it, when especially when it's the people that that you're talking to, that you, that you, especially when it's something the people that you're speaking to and for, when they get it. But then the other side yeah. of that is when you know speaking truth to power, when the powers that be, right, when that when, right. when that shit hit them in the kind of way that got them saying, "Ouch!" Then you know they come for you. So I definitely right. think that you know, and you know, I think it's very hard to, for things to not be you know love versus not love, and you know it's very hard to not find a way to label most of the stuff we deal with today as being politics in some way shape or form right right you, you know what i mean but yeah. i definitely think i definitely think that the, po- the, the political stuff will absolutely get you in this place where you're you're really stuck you know what i'm saying and, and, and you can mm-hmm. you can become you can become sort of sort of you can get yourself back into this corner where you you are the quote-unquote poet of record you know like you know it was a point there where everybody was like you know well, yeah, well, yeah but what you got to say about this and I realized that, you know, with us, we were very romantic. So when, when I was locked up, people were doing things like talking about the Black Panthers. And, you know, I, I, know, that, I know that history, and it's a good history, but, you know, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't win the Civil Rights War. Mm-hmm. We got a few compromises. You know, they, they gave us the, the right to vote, which they gave us after slavery. So it was like we, we spent Martin Luther King died, Malcolm X died, the Black Panthers, so many brothers and sisters died and went to jail, reminding these people to – of something they had already agreed we, we had was rights to be human right. beings. 60 years right. later, mind you, you know, so it's like, you know, I am, I'm, I'm conscious of the fact that everything I want you to get to a certain place, everything you write is political. I am a Mandingo. So most of the stuff I write, even my love poems are going to be called political, but I'm, I'm very conscious of not being dragged into politics, like nonsense politics. Like, I don't think, I don't think what goes on with these, these people in this country has anything to do with politics. It's just a continuation of power. Politics for me is, is, you know, China sneaking into Africa and becoming a new colonial master in Africa. Politics to me is, is you know, Europe still still putting puppet, power, you know, leaders in power that can that can still do their bidding, you know, imperialistic style. You know, that that's the mm-hmm. type of politics I talk about. You know what I'm saying? The fact that there are places mm-hmm. in Africa that are being raped, and they don't have schools. You know, they're taking out, they're taking minerals out by the tons and we don't have schools, there's no electricity, there's no Wi-Fi, right. there's no, you know, this is still happening. I, I, I experienced it in 2015 in, in, in Africa. You know, China yeah. is there and China is absolutely going out of the, including all the derogatory things and including all of the sort of getting at people and, and beating people and disenfranchising people. All of that's already happening in China, in, in Africa. Mm-hmm when it comes to China and it's really China and America right now fighting for, for the new separation of Africa. Right. And it's happening. It's happening in some places. It's already, it's already too late. And I, I hate to put it like that, but in some places like Uganda and those places where they're killing people so that they can get to the trees, it's, it's, happening. Right. it's happening, you know? So, um, but I, I think that I also think that you, you, uh, I'm, I'm that dude. I'm, I realized some time back that I was that dude. I was the dude that, that says the thing that nobody else wants to say. I'm the elephant. Right. So I, and I accept that role. I accept it wholeheartedly. Yeah. Because somebody right. got to do it. Somebody got to do right. it. And I, I, come from a, I come from a long line of truth sayers, you know, Mary Barakas and the, 
you know, those type of people, that Audre Lorde and those kind of people. So I'm, I come from those, and I'm very proud to continue that tradition and that tradition when it comes to the politics, the politics of it. But, you know, for me, I'm talking to us. Anybody else that hears it and digs it, I guess we could call that gravy, but I'm talking to us. My message is for us. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love it, you guys. And if you're just joining us, you guys, we are on with Iyaba Ego. Mandingo, you guys, and we're discussing his latest uh, collection of poetry. Um, if you got a question or a comment or you just want to call in and show him some love, you can do so by calling in at 347-326-9139 is the number. Or if you're on the line already, you can go ahead and press 1. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a little break, um, but we're going to come back and we're going to actually get um, Iyaba to share some pieces um, with us um, tonight as well so you folks can see what you're going to be in store for. Uh, when you pick up this collection of books. And so uh, we're going to actually go to a caller um, before the break. Uh, let's go to 757, uh, last digits, 114. State your name and where you're calling from. <coughs> caller, are you there? Hello. Hello. Hi, welcome. Hi. Hi, beautiful butterfly. This is Dee Brown. Hey, and I Dee, how you hi. doing? I'm good. Want to say hi to you and hi to Mr. Mandingo. I am loving this conversation. Peace I love I, I love hearing people being true to their self and true to their native language and trying to speak to your people, our people. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and I and I love every bit of what you know conversation, and it's just so on point for times like now, and I pray and hope that there's more listeners that's hearing this that will hear this because this is needed yeah. for times like now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I just want to call and say I appreciate tonight's word. Thank I appreciate you, you sister. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank and we you. hope you that you can uh, continue listening to the show. I'm sure I'm not hanging up because I'm all about <laughs> communication and people being true to their self. Amen, amen, sister. I love, amen. It. I love yes. it. Thank you Thank so you. much. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All right, you guys. So we're going to take a little break, and uh, we're going to come back, and we're going to let um, Iyaba share some pieces with us live here on the show. Don't forget, you can still call in at any time. The number 347-326-9139 is the number. Or if you're on the line listening already, if you press 1, uh, you can speak with him live here on the air tonight, folks. Um, if you're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those places, make sure you share the show uh, tonight. We want everybody uh, to catch these uh, words and these truths tonight on the Beautiful Butterfly Show. So we're going to take a little break, you guys. We're going to come back with more Yaba Evil Mandingo, you guys. This is A Rustic A Day Born Through the Fire. We'll be right back with more right here on the Beautiful Butterfly Show. Please, they ricochet 
Like when hollow points hit wave after wave. When all you can hear is utter silence. Domesticated violence becomes praise like a sad flute. No tone, no balance. Somber chord of sadness like a theatrical Z in. Blinded by the dramatic, it was hard for her to see in. But if you know mother, like I know mother, cry. Bruises and scars camouflage like fatigue in her skin. No longer reserved, it's the truth she cannot hide. But all this drama is set to go up in flames. Facing the truth like a revolver pointed to the head. Too tired, victim no more. Murderous thoughts intrude the brain. This abuse upon her is likened to a cancer that's unwanted. Sleepless nights, a pattern without refuge. Daydreams to nightmares, realistically now the haunted. So take the moral to this story, my son. Do not replicate the love your woman, for he said to me, kingdoms bred your queens to be. Their thrones accentuate remarkable elements to see as her position stands mantle to your right hand, and her existence will create generations of royalty, royalty.
Hello? Peace. Peace. Hello. All right, Iyaba, are you there? Yes, I'm right here, sis. Okay. All right, so let's go back. Okay, sorry. Uh, we're going to go to our caller here from the area code 203, um, last digit 4442. Uh, state your name and where you're calling from. Hi, Bianca. How are you? This is Tina calling in. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am doing great. I just wanted to call in, um, say hi to you, of course, and greet Mr. Manzingo, of course. Um actually here preparing for our celebration of his book release, The Yukong Heavy Luck 56, which will be happening tomorrow at Blend's Gallery in Bridgeport, Connecticut. So I want to give a shout out for anyone listening that's in the area, want them to come through and enjoy some music, enjoy some, uh, some food, enjoy some really iry atmosphere. Wonderful. And, uh, and just hang out with us. So I wanted to put that out there, give a shout-out to you and your wonderful show. I enjoy listening to you and your thought-provoking interviews. You. And thank you again for entertaining us and having us on your show. We appreciate it, um, enjoying everything that I am passionate about. So thank you Absolutely. a lot, a lot, a lot. Absolutely, absolutely. And, Cena, before you go, give the folks um, the address and the time uh, one more time. Absolutely. It's Blends Gallery, 1163 Main Street in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and it will be Friday, June 1st, 7 o'clock to 10 o'clock p.m., and you don't want to miss it because it's going to be a very awesome show. Absolutely, absolutely. So you guys make sure that if you're in the neighborhood, you go and support um, these uh, awesome, awesome people and uh, Iyaba's accomplishment as well and all of those great things. And Sina, once again, thank you so much uh, for, for the supporting and, and all that you do uh, for the show. Definitely appreciate you. Thank you, and I will talk with you again soon. Okay. All right, bye. Have a good night. You too. All right, you guys. And so, um, yeah, but one of my questions for you is that um, a lot of times when it comes to poetry, um, I've heard some people talk about how um, poetry, you know, can be interpreted various ways depending on um, who's listening to it. Uh, So for you, have you found that some of the, you know, collection of poetry that you have written, um, people um, are able to interpret it in different ways that you might not have even expected. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Especially yeah. again, as, as a as a multi gifted person. Um, yeah. Being yeah. a painter, you know, I do a lot of abstraction, and I've had people come up to me and tell me what they think about abstraction. You know, what they see, they may see a piece, and I have a time they're like, "Well, I saw this, and is that?" I'm like, "Yes, that's exactly right." 
And I, I do the same thing with the poetry. I think that, you know, when somebody's really listening, they're going to hear different things, different parts of the poem are going to, are going to you know, attach to them and going to electrify them. And I actually love that feedback because, you know, if, as an artist, you have, to, you have to be aware of the fact that once you create a piece, it really technically is no longer yours. So when you put it right. out there, and mind you, all the feedback is not always constructive and all of it is not always stuff that you're going to do anything with. But there are times when you get some really, really nice gems from people. And again, thinking about it as a painter, as a visual painter, sometimes it's just because you didn't look at a thing from a, from from the angle they were looking at, and then you check it out from the angle. You know what? You know what? That makes a lot of sense. I, I definitely feel yeah. like I need to include that. And so, yes, absolutely. I de- and, but I think I think that that's what that should always be our goal and our aim should always yeah. be to with that when you write and create a thing is realizing that the people that are going to be listening to it, not just now but in the times to come, because you really are writing history when you do these things, is, is understanding that. You know, go back to my yeah. favorite, Claude McKay. He wrote a piece called yeah. The Tropics in New York in, in 1912. And when I read that wow. poem now as a Caribbean immigrant, I still get homesick. Like he, wow. I just, he just wrote it. And it's, it's more than 100 years old, that piece. So yeah. it's the power of words, I guess you could say. You know, And the power of art in general to really, really not only inspire people, but to make people stop and really consider, you know what I'm saying? I, one of the reasons I love it, like when I, after being locked up by the government, my mother basically made me swear off ever doing the 9-11 poem again, which I did for many years until I figured out I could work it into my play and take it yeah. again, like you said, from a different angle. So, you know, mm-hmm, where I was, mm-hmm. the reason I got locked up with the poem was because I did it very bombastically at the top of the edge of the stage as the, as the chastiser, as the tool, as the weapon that was being used. And in my play... Mm-hmm. I do it as an observer, and so I literally split. So I become the poet, and then, and then there are points in the play where I actually split into an observer and go. And we continued in this angry diatribe, listing all the places on the planet that we used if it benefited us. And I go back to the poet, like Vietnam, and Beirut, and the Congo, and Palestine, and Burundi, destroyed. Destroyed like the hopes of people in the Congo, and your place, Lumumba with Mobutu, destroyed. So it freed me up all of a sudden to, give, to, 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 to do the poem again, which is a very relevant poem. But, you know, the, that, the angle, the angle is, you know, Bob Marley said it. There's nothing new under the sun. Everything has been said already. It's just your version of it. You know, people were saying <laughs> one love before Bob. People were saying get up and stand up for your rights before Bob. It's just the angle. You know, truth to power is another way of saying exactly that. So I, I feel like I love the, knowing that I'm a part of that tradition, and I really respect the, 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 the job, the seriousness of that job, and, and the onus of being very true to yourself when you do that. Very, it's a big job, and I'm, you know, I love it. I love it. I could have been Michael Jordan dunking a basketball, but I'd rather be, <laughs> I'd rather be a Mary Baraka. You know what I'm saying? Forever Absolutely. and ever. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. In this collection um, of poetry, uh, what is is one of your faves um, that, if if any, uh, you believe um, is in this collection? What is one of my favorites? Yeah. Wow, that 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 you're right when you say if any. I have a few. I have a few, but there there's some that come to mind. Um, I love I love um, Mami Mino Wongo America. That that mm-hmm. because to me that was you know there there's these points in your life when you look back in hindsight and you go yeah that's when I changed and that Mami Mino Wongo America is is 11 year old almost 11 year old Kenny which is my name my mother gave me responding to my mother's news that we were going to be moving to America and my response was Mami. Me no want go America. Nothing I go marry about America. Me no want buy no mango there supermarket. Me want to pick them off a mango tree and besides all the milk and honey done share out. There's only handsome out living in government projects where guns are barking instead of dogs and the sirens have replaced the sounds of crickets and frogs. 
At night, the policeman keeps watching me. I see him creeping through my dreams, arresting my aspirations. So, mommy, me no want go America. Can nothing now go marry about America. <laughs> you know what I mean? So for me, it was it was uh, it's very freeing. It's very freeing, and just doing it for, every time I do something in my native tongue, I smile. You know, so it's um yeah. That process for me is 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 very liberating. And anybody that I, I think, even if you don't plan on becoming one of the greatest of your generation or one of the most relevant of your generation, I think that we should all explore. You know, paint. Even if you don't plan on showing it to nobody, write. If you plan on never sharing it, you know, we should all, it's a downloading process. And I, when I teach a class, I call it vomiting. It's really, you know, vomiting. When you vomit, everything comes up. You don't get to edit. And a lot of times, a lot of us don't write because we, we, we start the process and we go, oh, God, I can't write that. Oh, my God, I can't share that. Oh, my God, I can't mm-hmm. tell people. When it's like, nah, you say, you write, get all of that out, get it all out of you. And then when you're done with it, you have the power to decide that you're going to burn it right then or flush it right. or share it, you know, but, but don't, Absolutely. don't edit it in your head because then you never get to that place. And then you, the process of writing is so cathartic that you write something and it leads to like the vomit where all of a sudden you look back at what you read and it's like, Whoa, I didn't know I still had that. I was still holding on to that like that. So for me, it's really Absolutely. the process is like important. And I, and when young cats come at me, I, I, I implore them, you know, Edit your stuff, man. Yes, yes, that poem was a good poem. But go back to the woodshed and work on it some more, and work on it some more, and work on it some more. So, yeah. (laughs) Awesome, awesome. And so tonight, uh, what piece would you like to share with the the listeners tonight? (laughs) What piece would I like to share? Let me go. Let me let me take the book and flip the book (laughs) and flip the book open and, and, and uh. And stop at a piece and do it. Okay. Right? Because I believe that, uh, yeah, that's perfect. So here it is. I was just talking to a cat about that earlier, too. The idea of uh, sugarcane people. You know, we, we, what, what we endured as African people in, in, uh, in, in, the, in this diaspora. Absolutely. So this, is, this is called sugar. And this is an mm-hmm. ode to, to my ancestors in the Caribbean who didn't, we didn't pick cotton. We picked sugar. You would pick sugarcane, mm-hmm. cut sugarcane, which which supplied Europe's, I mean, straight up biological addiction to sugar. Wow. For 300 years. So, sugar. I come from sugarcane people who cut cane so the white people in a Europe could have sweetened them tea. Cutlass and ducket water boots, sun up to sundown, gone sweat, sugar water, drinking sugar water. Fiber from crocus bag half a strain out of dirty brown sugar, them safe for poor people. Table full of white people chowing. Ton salt cod in a stew on saltfish. Overripe banana and pumpkin ton fritters. Had them a follow them nose out of them big house down to where are we day with our little coal pot full of charcoal and ashes. And make something out of the nothing and the are we. I survive in a shoot hard labor. I get little and nothing for do everything till every stalk of cane gone a mill. So when you see me and yam sugarcane, sweet with the labor of my goons, gone, mouth full of sweat and perseverance, sucked from stalks, grown in soil, rich with the blood of their tears, know that I live in the glow of their hopes. Call their names in the shadows of those remnants of those sugar mills, still dotting the landscape today. The king owes to the blood sacrifice of sugarcane people who cut cane so the white people in a Europe could have sweetened them tea. Awesome. <laughs> we, gotta, 
Yeah, when it comes to our our current state, um, and and I'm always impressed um, by your words because I feel that, especially nowadays, um, even more recently, we have seen where just us saying the little bit of things seems to get the most backlash. We're Mm -hmm. seeing it take place in the political arena. And so some people are feeling as if they don't have a voice or they they can't speak on certain things um, without you know, being reprimanded in some type of way. And so I am glad that you have, you know, put out this collection of work to where it goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the show, you know, leaving that legacy, leaving that storytelling um, so that years, decades from now, uh, you have it in book form so people will be able to read it and pass it on and so forth down the line. How important in this day and age, for you um, being a storyteller, for you um, writing poetry, how important is it now more than ever um, to (laughs) speak on certain things and to get your words out there uh, to people that you come across? I feel feel like it's even more more, uh, relevant. And, again, being a history, being a history uh, cat. um, Right. I'm going to remember, you know, I, I, when I talk to young people, I'm always telling them it's a very beautiful time to be young people. And even at 40, almost 49, I feel like I'm still a young person. Um, my children are all in their 20s now. And, and I talk to them as, as well as my students I encounter about understanding the importance and, and the joy of being alive, the gift of being alive at the beginning of a century. Because the people who are in our age group at that time, we're really responsible for what that century, at least the first 50 years of that century becomes. I mean, think back, think back 100 years ago. Marcus Garvey was here. Marcus Garvey came to America, I believe, in 1917. You know, Langston Hughes, County Collin, Jelly Roll Johnson, Count Bate, you know, all of these people, were, they were on the planet. And then you, I'm talking, you can go to other genres. Louis Pasteur was doing his thing. Picasso was doing his thing. Sigmund Freud was doing his thing. People who literally molded what the, 20, the first 20, 50 years of the 20th century became. Now, when you go up 50 years... You go to the second batch, the people who really molded the 20th century that we, as 30 and 40 and 50 year olds know, the Malcolm X's and the, and those type of people, the 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 Bob Marleys and the Peter Tosh and you know the Mary Barakas, the, the, all of those people that really molded you know the Black Panther struggle, Asada Shakur, that really molded the second half of the century. So when I I, I talk about that onus in two ways, as a joy, but also realizing that historically, because when historic, historians look at time, we don't, we're not, we don't have any bias. We look at it in chunks, in epochs, okay. you know, 500 years type thing. And so when we look at those times and we start to really judge what, what happens, you either get praised or blamed for what the century became. Now, there are right. people we can go back and talk about when we talk about things like white racism. A hundred years ago, you know, is the, the idea of Jim Crow is when Jim Crow, the idea of Jim Crow and segregation and the, creating these sort of false barriers to differentiate between people based on skin and education. A lot of that stuff is when it became, you know, vogue. A lot of it is when it became law. A lot of it, a lot of those things we're talking about, you know, that we live with under now that are not, that do nothing for people of color. You know, a hundred years ago, the white men that wanted to keep America white were putting those ideas forward. So, you know, when you, when you really sit back and go understand the importance of your role. So I, I think it's re- for me now being my age and realizing that in 200 years, people are going to go looking at this beginning of the 21st century, which was a completely different age than any other before it, who the people were that really were the architects of what that, what that 
century started off as. And I, I feel I feel absolutely honored to 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 uh, to be in that position because again, as a historian, when you look back at the Renaissance, you don't know who, what the sportsman was like. You know, uh, albeit a Michael Jordan type cat, but you know what the artists right. were doing. You know what the painters right. were doing. You know what the singers. And, and that's I tell if you want to know what a time, what any time period was like, go and check the artists because we are allowed mm-hmm. because they, they kind of put us in this label of oh those people. So a lot of times we we may right. really be in obscurity. Right. And you know when you hear people talk about oh your work is before its time, a lot of times that's very true. John Coltrane, I think is I think now it was for us. You know what I'm saying? The stuff that yeah, W. B. Du Bois was talking about. W.B. talked about double consciousness 100 years ago. And here we are right now seeing the same thing where you got to, it's a face that you make when you go to corporate America, the white world, and it's a face you got when you're at home with your people. Mm -hmm. We talk Ebonics Mm -hmm. and we talk white. You know, we we really, you know, most black people I know are are very bilingual because I talk fluent white. I talk (laughs) fluent ghetto. I talk fluent patois. I talk fluent British English. You know what I'm saying? And they're all, they're all different things. And if you don't know how to, if you don't know how to, to jump between those worlds, a lot of times you get you get killed. You know what I'm saying? You may show up to, to a job, show up to a job, all the qualifications on paper, and you be like, "Yo, what up, my man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really want this job." You know, and you're like, "Well, I mean, that's how you talk on the street with your boy." But you know, you're with the white people, so you're gonna be like, "Yes, I really would like the opportunity to to really excel at this place, and I believe this company would really help me to find my better self and stuff that they like to hear." You know what I'm saying? And we mm-hmm. do that every day. Every day we do that. You know, so. All of them things are still relevant. So I, I love knowing that my work, the things I put forward, are going to play a role in how we are looked at as a people in general, human beings, black, white, purple, orange, but, but more importantly as black people. Because at some point we're going to have to turn this thing around so that when people look at us, they don't see this sort of acquiescent personality Absolutely. that nominate who we are all the time, you know what I'm saying, and taking it and Absolutely. taking it and taking it, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Um, Iyaba, for the folks out here, um, tell them um, where they can actually purchase. I know you're having um, an event tomorrow night, but uh, when will people be able to purchase uh, this collection of poetry? Well, we we have it up on um, on Amazon. Um, it's doing really okay. cool. I would encourage anybody that buys it on Amazon to please go up there and, and put, a, put a review up there because you know, the way that publishing world works. Amazon sees enough reviews, then they'll review it themselves, and you know that that'll move up the books, you know, the books visibility, and which is what Absolutely. we want. We want the books to go right to the top of the list. But if you would like a signed copy, um, then you you, you hit us up at the website ayabaarts i y a b a r t s dot com, and we can get one out to you asap. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm definitely, I definitely uh, have to get it in print because I, I definitely have a few people uh, I want to share it with. So I'm going cool. to actually um, share the link. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, uh, from Amazon on the Beautiful Butterfly Show page as well as the Bianca Fly page, so you guys can go um, and purchase it um, and share it. Um, summertime is coming up. Um, no better time than while you're on vacation or relaxing or whatever. Uh, get you a good book of a uh, collection Amen. of poetry. Um, yes, and, and check yes, it out, you guys. Yeah, definitely. So uh, we got to push. You know, we like you said, we have to push our stories um, yes. to the next generation and, and pay it forward, and I definitely um, believe that. And um, I'm definitely going to be pushing this as well because I definitely want to see it do well, and I know that it will do well also. And so, um, Iyaba, for the folks out here, um, you know, who – who have that 
those those collections of stories. We have those collections um, of poetry. Uh, you spoke a little while ago, you know, continue to write even if no one may ever read it, you know, mm-hmm. and continue to, um, you know, basically stay in our craft and what we do. This, you know, with this time, you know, people are feeling all kinds of emotions. Uh, what would be your words of encouragement um, to those who, who just kind of get caught up, you know, with the things that 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 this world is giving to us, you know, kind of on a daily basis? Well, I, um, I would say, you know, um, step back, please, you know, employ the the, the whole idea of stopping for a minute. You know, you go to like in Central America and, and parts of the Caribbean. Yeah. At twelve o'clock. At twelve o'clock, they they go on siesta in the Caribbean. In, yeah. In, 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 they call it siesta in the Caribbean. The store is closed from twelve to one. The store is closed. You could have you could have the most important thing in the world to go buy there. You could have a million dollars you want to give to the proprietor. The store is closed. They go home. Yeah. They sit down. They eat their lunch. They digest their lunch. They take a nap if they feel like, and then they come back to work rested. That, that, and that's something that's traditional. You're not going to get nobody to, to, to break that because it's it's more efficient to do it another way. You know what Definitely. I mean? So yeah. really, really, really start to begin to, to really, um, like the newest, the latest series of work we're working on is called Ajuju. It's paintings. And it's really, it's, it's, it's these sort of 11 feet pieces, 11 foot by, I think, 8 foot. And they're basically just, let's call them yoga positions, African yoga positions. And they're just us in positions of tranquility where we center, you got to, you got to figure out a way to recenter. And it, it could be yoga or it could be you in your bedroom with, with an incense. You know what I'm saying? But we have to figure out a way that we can stop five minutes out of the day. Just stop, stop and really reflect not only on what you're doing, not only on the day, but on, on the position that we are in the plant on this planet as a people on your position as an individual, on the people that love you and you love and what's going on and what, what we can do, outside of sort of this program that gets thrown at us, what we can do to really grow in, 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 in all directions, not just, you know, become you know, like social media whizzes, you know, you can, you know how to, you know, share a picture to nine different right. Twitter, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook all at the same time. Cause you know how to do all of that. Right. But, but, but slow down enough that you hear the poem, that you actually hear the poet. You know what I'm saying? And you actually hear the words and, and allow them to affect you and allow them to, to, to get in you so that you can really hear some of these things. And it, it's going to help you tap into who you are. And I, I, I really believe that, I believe that, you, you know, they got the spas and all this stuff. And, and you know what? The, 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 when we talk about class system, the upper class does this. The upper class mm-hmm. takes regular vacations. They go to the spa on a mm-hmm. regular basis. They get out regular and they run. They eat proper yeah. food. And all of them things, you know, for me, I've been, you know, in the last – Maybe eight months, seven, eight months. I've transformed myself and, and threw 50 pounds in the garbage, went back to being plant-based. And at 49, I feel like I'm 27 years old in every way possible. I feel completely, like, I feel super powerful. Not, you know, yeah. and not in any kind of, you know, metaphorical, but very, the way my, my posture, the way I carry my, 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 my gait, all that happened. And it, it, it was really from a conscious in October making a conscious effort. You know, I said, you know what? I need to line up all my ducks. Mentally, spiritually, physically, when you mm-hmm. get, well, I feel like when you line those things up, the universe opens up to you, and it's really up to you. Absolutely. And I'm, Absolutely. I, I, I've been dwelling in that place for a while, and I really, I really would encourage anybody out there, anybody that's listening, anybody that may listen in the future, that that's the, to me, you know, if you ask me what it is, it's really figuring out a way to go back to yourself. And, and I know, I know people have heard that a million different ways, but it's still, it's still true. Figure out Absolutely. a way 
to, to go back to self, to really kind of come back and stop long enough to say, why am I here? You know, I think a lot of us, I know a lot of us do. We come here, we, we live a life, and we never even challenge that question, like, why did you come? Why, why were you the sperm that made it? What reason? In the universe, mm-hmm. you know, the, the creator does not put any of us here haphazardly. We're all here for a very specific reason, and I believe that your time on the planet is really about not only finding that out, but then manifesting that truth. And, and I, I feel like I'm at that place. I feel like Africa was really important for me when it came to rewiring, you know what I'm saying? Ugly Absolutely. Black Kenny, Ugly Black African Kenny, that was the name that made me cry as a kid. Now I'm beautiful Black African Kenny, Ayaba. Mm. And, and to me, to, to, to have to, to go back to that thing that I ran from the most, it, it, the, the revelation that that has, you know, sort of, cause the chain reaction of things you know the way things yeah. open up i haven't since i'm getting back from that i have not had writer's block i haven't had painters but i don't have i don't have moments of i don't know what to create because it's actually right. the opposite it's, it's more like wow how come inspiration comes so easily now and i realize it's because i really have you know i love myself i'm in love i'm in love with myself but i'm, I'm also so so aware of the the the, the, the skill set the skill set that I have been given as an artist, you know what I'm saying? Um, Absolutely. Cat called me a polymath or some time back, and I had to go look up what the word polymath means. It means a genius. <laughs> it means a genius in a specific field, and, and I, right. I, I, I accept that title because I feel like that's what I'm aiming to do in the in the world of art. I am aiming to be the very best that I can be in all of it. I'm not really, you know, whether I'm not, whether or not, I don't want to be compared to Picasso or Basquiat or any of my contemporaries. But I want to be compared. When you're doing any comparing, compare the, the, the 2011 Ayaba to the 2018 Ayaba. You know, you're talking about a much a much more serious actor, a much better writer, a much better painter, a much better man. You know, a much better human being, a much better father. You know, so to me, I, that those are the only comparisons I really care about. And I think that, that yeah. those we should do the same thing. You know, we we fall Absolutely. for like these these measuring sticks that are sort of given to us. And a lot of times you look mm-hmm. into it, they're either white people's measuring sticks or rich people's measuring sticks and they ain't got nothing to do with us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, and I'm glad you said that because um, just about the changes that you made because life in general um, and things that we take on and put on our plates makes us heavy, not just in the physical form, but in the spiritual form, you know, because we're heavy inside and we're carrying, mm-hmm. you know, all of these different issues and all these different burdens and stresses and so forth. And we don't realize how that plays a factor, you know, on our bodies mm-hmm. and on our mental state, you know. So when we have those moments where we, like you said, you know, talked about just taking a step back, you know, mm-hmm. and, and readjusting some things in our lives, we are able to see um, such a magnificent um, difference and a magnificent yeah. change within ourselves. Yeah. And so um, I am glad that um, you shared that tonight as well. And so um, tell the folks, um, Yala, where they can go. I know you have a website and give them all your information where they can go to keep up with you, your performances, and, and where you're going to be and, and all those great things. Well, yes, you said, like you said, it says the website is iyabarts.com, iyabarts.com. Um, but you can also find me on Facebook um, at Ayaba Arts or, or uh, Ayaba Unframed or Mandingo Wear, which is our clothing line. Or you can find me on my personal page at Ayaba Ebo Mandingo. Um, I didn't know you had a clothing line. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of a stumble into thing. Um, Instagram, okay, you can find me awesome. at um, Ayaba Arts LLC or Ayaba Arts on Instagram. On Twitter, it's Ayaba Arts LLC. 
Um, I, I think that's all. I think that's all, all of the the, the, the outer verse. <laughs> but the clothes, the clothes, you know, um, the clothes. I bought a pair of sneakers. I, I, I wore pro cash. You know, I was an immigrant to this country. My mother wasn't having uh-huh. the eighty dollar Pumas and all that stuff, and then the, the fifty dollar Pumas. So. She would give me thirty dollars and tell me go get some sneakers, and I had to make do. So I started getting pro cads. So I'm still I love pro cads now as a grown ass man. And um, awesome. I found a pair of white ones. Like I don't know, 2014, I bought a pair of white ones off from Nostalgia. Got home and they were real cheap. Got home and realized the reason they were so cheap was because it was a big smudge on the heel, on the back heel. Mm. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just let me put some mask up here, some African mask, and just go crazy, go a yaba on it. So I do that. I rock the sneakers and I take a picture in the sneakers. And that was maybe 300 pairs of sneakers ago as far as orders that we've sent out. And that wow. just kind of led into, well, why don't we make some pants? And why don't we make jackets? So I started really kind of embellishing. And, again, it's the full circle. So going back to Africa and coming awesome. back from Africa, I realized, you know what? I started when people, what, what if you ask, what's the first, what was your first introduction to art? Well, my grandfather, like I, we talked about earlier, who was a tailor, and my grandmother, who was a seamstress. And with both of them, they were both artists who had to go the quote-unquote practical route and become artisans. So they were still using their art, but they had to do things to make closer people. And they both excelled. Mm-hmm. My, grandmother, my grandmother snuck us into the back door of the upper class in the Caribbean because she made clothes for the upper class. So they became friends with her, and we were able to eventually start going to school with these people because of it. they pulled strings for us. And my grandmother eventually was sitting with them in church and all that kind of stuff. So I grew up knowing that, that upper class people, even though I wasn't from that world. My grandfather did yeah. So those are the things that to see me come back full circle and be using textiles, not only in my artwork, but in making clothes and, 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 and imagining things that people actually want to wear. I love, I love the, the irony of it, but I, I think that that's what, that, that's what we all, it's a part of that journey of finding out who you are because you come with everything. You come with the whole blueprint. Absolutely. It's just a matter of figuring it out. I, I think they give Socrates credit for that, but he got it from the Egyptian mystery system. You come to the planet with everything. <laughs> You know, you just rem- it's just a matter of remembering the things that you forgot. Absolutely. And I believe that. Absolutely. Yeah, I absolutely believe it. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And you guys, uh, we are definitely uh, thrilled to have had you um, on the show tonight. And uh, a lot of folks that have definitely uh, been messaging, uh, telling us how much they have enjoyed this conversation and dialogue tonight. And I am. I'm always um, in awe of the conversation as well. And so, um, as I always say, uh, continue to do what you do. Uh, continue telling those stories that they may live on uh, forever and inspiring and educating us uh, in the ways that you do. And I, I know you'll be back again soon. I know you got some other things in the works. Absolutely. 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 You know it. You know it, man. You know it. And, and uh, I appreciate, I pre- as we say in the roster culture, I, I appreciate love. I don't appreciate hate you. I appreciate love you. And I appreciate love your audience. And I, I appreciate, I appreciate love the feedback. And I, you know, just keep following. I promise y'all that I will not continue to speak, to speak our truth to, to the powers that be. And um, y'all lift me up, and I'm gonna lift y'all up. That that that's my that's my uh, my promise. I love it. I love it. I love it. And so once again, thank you so much for joining us. And make sure you guys um, go check out um, him at his event tomorrow. I'm going to actually get the information and post it on Facebook as well. So you guys who are in the area, go check him out. Go holler at him. Support him uh, tomorrow evening. You guys uh, go out and have a good time. And so, Iyabo, thank you so much for coming on here. And uh, I hope you have an incredible uh, event and celebration 
celebration tomorrow night is celebrating this wonderful, wonderful collection um, of poetry. And uh, I know you'll be back again soon. And so I Absolutely. look forward to having you back on. And so you have a great rest of your evening. You too, sister. I appreciate you. And I, I look forward to building with you again. All right. Have a I good love and strength. Peace. All right. All right, you guys, that was Iyaba Ibo uh, Manzigo. You guys, make sure you go and connect with him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, even his website um, at iyabaarts.com. Um, and don't forget, I'm going to be sharing that information on his event taking place tomorrow evening uh, on Facebook. So if you're not, go ahead and follow me at Bianca Fly on Facebook, or you can check out the Beautiful Butterfly Show page as well, and I'll share it on there as well. Also, uh, so with that said, folks, we are going to get ready to get out of here. And I hope you guys have a fantastic uh, rest of your week and weekend, all those great things. Stay strong, stay positive. And as always, I appreciate you tuning into another episode of the Beautiful Butterfly Show. You guys have a great one. My brother, my brother, I've known you like no other. Absent-minded no more, for we are in this together. My brother, why do you think you have to lie to me? You disrespected the art, the queen, and those left behind in the community. Did you not forget who put you here? I am poetry, the spoken one, no Rockefeller, no stunner, I'm no Belvedere. So when you say that you speak the truth, heed to your words, and let's not poison the youth. For every interaction, there is a reaction to the intentions we all bear. When the money talks and the bullshit walks, the greed inside it materialized. Reconstructed slave labor in this modern-day Babylon, stranded for the rest of our lives. Should we not stand together or should we not stand at all? Hidden behind corporate concentration camps, lunge forward, casualty at play, now oblivious to the failure. It's not an option to take that fall. So tell me why do we have to have a flashback? When our economic paper no longer represents that Andrew Jack, son of a bitch, born into the land of the rich. Stop it, boy. Quit being sarcastic. Nah, but really, who made the switch? A switch from this game piece called the struggle. And I 
play Monopoly well. So let the shotgun shells ring by any means necessary. I've been standing on two feet for far too long in this battle, literally. So bridge united with you, with me, my brother, right here. Stand with me in this community. <laughs> 